Woe to you, O seaside town, for Diablo sends his radix pettis with wrath, because Sherlock Holmes is drying out. Let him who hath understanding reckon the translation of the radix pettis Diablo, for it is an English name. Its name is the Devil's Foot. And then basically just the lyrics of Number of the Beast by, I think, Black Sabbath. Uh, follow along. I left alone. My mind was blank. I needed time to think to get the memories from my mind. I mean, it goes on for about three or four more verses uh, before I would need to change anything. So I won't I won't sing the entirety of Black Sabbath's uh, The Number of the Beast. As we get back to a study in Granada, a bi-weekly podcast where I, a fan but not expert of the Sherlock Holmes stories and the 1970s, 1980s Jeremy Brett and Edward Hardwick TV series. I'm doing a great job of this. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my friend Jackson Eflin. Jackson, welcome back. Season four? Yeah, that sounds right. We've done three big movies. Deeply, it is depressing how that's how we remember what season we're on. It's one more than the number of movies we've covered. Admittedly, this is a British show, so there's a lot of like weirdness of how things are broken up. So mm-hmm. what season we're on is kind of more sort of guidelines. To that effect, before we bring on our guest, we should cover, technically speaking, The Sign of Four, I believe. The TV movie comes before this episode. We just decided not to do that. We're going to do the movie. We're just not going to do it first. But uh, speaking of getting to it first, this week we're joined by, again, uh, my sister, <laughs> Megan Nolik. Welcome back to Steady <laughs> Granada. We're not rusty at all. No, no, it's fine. It sounds like you maybe need to go on a recuperative vacation. Yeah, don't we all? Can I... Uh, also go in persona of Babushka Holmes, which is what I'm calling the uh, the look that he was rocking in the back of that cart of like some I mean, kind of scarf or whatever, and then pre- a bowler hat on top of it. I'm not prepared to try and stop you, so. <laughs> Jackson and I, when we first watched this, were a lot of like, ah, you'll see what you do not observe. I am Babushka Holmes. We just kept talking like that for a while. It was very fun. I recommend it. If you fight in the crime scene, it poisons the mystery. Well, uh, Megan... We start as we always do with what is it about the Devil's Foot that you like? Because we, uh, we, I reached out to you about this season. This was immediately the one that you uh, gravitated towards. Basically, I watched this episode a lot because of a particular sequence that is not meant to be hilarious, but I find. <laughs> was it Babushka Holmes? <laughs> no, actually, that's not a thing that I had ever noticed before. Was it Bandana Holmes? Uh, I, I know Bandana Holmes. I had not noticed Babushka Holmes before, but now I will not ever be able to not see that. So, thanks. It's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's legally distinct from the other time where he's wearing a bowler hat with a scarf wrapped around okay. the hat. That's I don't have a name for that one, but I did account. There's at least three distinct types of hat or ways that he's wearing hats in this episode. <laughs> Is your favorite sequence here the one where it's like a, an acid trip, but, oh, you know, yes. low budget? Yeah. It is the, without saying too much, it is the uh, trip, the other kind of trip that Holmes goes on while on his trip with Watson. Well, uh, speaking of saying too much, we do have the synopsis here ready from the Arthur Conan Doyle website where we always get our wonderful synopses from. I see Megan just internally bracing herself for the, <laughs> the grammatical crime that's about to happen. <laughs> 
Sentenced to a forced vacation, Holmes was saved from boredom by the outbreak of a tragedy. Brenda Treganis <laughs> was discovered dead, and her brothers Owen and George's were struck by madness. The third brother, Mortimer, who, after an inheritance dispute, took pension from the Presbytery, hmm, Presbytery? claims to know nothing about the tragedy. However, the housekeeper informed Holmes that, present the previous evening, he had asked for the fire to be rekindled, and around Brenda's neck, Holmes finds a pendant ring. He and Watson reflect in front of the sea when Dr. Sterndale, explorer anthropologist, comes along. Notified by the Reverend Roundhay, also misspelled that name, and immediately returned from Plymouth, he became angry that Holmes refused to tell him who he, who he suspected. So that's a brisk jog through the first third of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost the first half, but yeah. that seems a good place to stop uh, if anybody wants to talk about and there, I've already touched on the hats. I'm pretty good for this part of the episode. Um, Hopefully, folks are watching at home. These, folk, these episodes are pretty easy to find. But if not, just in case the summer it wasn't clear, Holmes is on vacation. The neighbors uh, got dead mysteriously. And there's uh, some other dudes just hanging around, having opinions about it, uh, being British. This is another one of those episodes where Holmes goes on vacation and clearly hates it. And is only happy when he finds him murders. Well, we can. I'll say this now. I was going to touch on it maybe in the next bit, but there is a great bit where he goes into the room where the mur- the deaths happen, and the look on Jeremy Brett's face is just like, "Honey, I'm home." Uh, like, <laughs> that's fine. Whatever. I was I was keeping myself busy by looking at rocks and wearing bandanas, but this this is where I belong. <laughs> to try to solve the 15 minute problem, they do that thing where. Uh, there's a lot of like meandering shots, but I kind of like it this time because it's a lot of meandering shots of Cornwall and the the mysteries of Cornwall and that ancient up in the clip. Quite often during those days in Cornwall, Holmes would strike out alone. The mystery and glamour of the place, with its sinister atmosphere of forgotten nations, appealed to the imagination of my friend. As someone who's also very into like weird old places, I was here for it. This is one because of how weird and dreamy and nightmarish it is. I didn't mind some of the longer shots and pans and things like that of the the natural background. Also, I was probably as bored as Sherlock Holmes was on vacation <laughs> watching a cliff for the third time. <laughs> well, there are a lot of like passages in the story that are basically boiled down to and then Holmes went off for another walk. Holmes passed the next couple of whatever hours or days or <laughs> Going on walks on the cliff and looking for rocks, and there are no bandanas he just, specified in the story. But that is true. The, the story took the liberty of adding bandanas. To. <laughs> the show took a lot of liberties with this one, but yeah, apparently that was sort of at Jeremy Brett's not request, but uh, he was during the filming of this in an up mood of his one of his many manic states, and kind of was just like, yeah, let's just like let's go for it. I think he had, he had a lot of input in the the drug sequence, which we'll get to. Let's just get through the whole synopsis. This is a pretty sure. short one. Uh, the next day, Rande, who's the vicar of the area, upset, arrived at Holmes and Watson's house. Mortimer died and has the same symptoms as Brenda. A nice tense change there. Right. Holmes spotted a powder on Mortimer's lamp that he was taking. 
full stop. <laughs> Convinced that it is a toxic product, he buys a lamp to burn it to check for harmful hallucinatory effects. Ooh, with an exclamation point. Sorry. <laughs> he buys a lamp to burn it to check for harmful hallucinatory effects. Oh. Watson protested, but stayed and rescued Holmes in, in extremis by dragging him out. As soon as they were covered, Sterndale showed up, furious to be summoned. But when Holmes showed him Brenda's ring, the doctor, devastated, confessed everything. In love with Brenda for years, he had been in contact with Mortimer and had explained to him the fearsome power of the root called Devil's Foot. Upon learning of the tragedy, he understood that Mortimer had stolen Radix Pettis Diaboli powder from him and thrown it into the chimney to poison Brenda <laughs> and her brothers and inherit their property. Holmes, not having unmasked... Holmes, not having unmasked the assassin of Sterndale applying the law of the Italian had made Mortimer inhale the poison smoke. Holmes, refusing to denounce the explorer, invited him to return to Africa to continue his work. That last sentence. One, um, Talion is the two, leader of the Rangers of Gondor, for whatever that helps. There's four commas in that sentence. One, two, yeah. The last two sentences collectively have six commas. Good lord. So, um, yes, with the drug sequence where they inhale the devil's foot, there's a sentence. Uh, I have... A passage here from the book uh, The Bending Reed or The Bending Willow I believe. It's basically a biography of Jeremy Brett specifically during this show um, and the passage here. Brett worked on this with director Ken Hannon and put his own ideas in. Some of these consisted of contorted images of Holmes struggling with Moriarty at Reichenbach. Holmes rubbing his eyes and dark red blood oozing from his clenched hands. Holmes wandering amongst the strange monoliths on the Cornish Peninsula. All these uneasy images seem to reflect in some way Jeremy Brett's search for some philosophy in life. Ended up not being mostly just a recap of what happened, but uh, apparently he was actually kind of in, heavily involved in what made up that sequence. Well... I'm glad he found an outlet for his stuff. Yeah, drugs. I mean, like, I get the... I like the Moriarty... Like, the, the Moriarty bits I thought were interesting. That he would go back there. But, like, the bl- squeezing blood down his face and, like... This, at one point, they cut to these illustrations of some sort of mythical... I don't even know what it is. But there's some sort of, like, angry but also confused-looking beast that they... It was almost like they were like, uh, what? We spent all the budget on the location, so what do we have handy that we can throw into this? What's in the public domain we can apply to this? It's like, uh. Edward, put on this upside down hat, or like. (laughs) Stand in the red room and talk backwards. Here's some tomatoes from craft services. Just squeeze them on your face, it'll be fine. Everyone will love the squeezy blood face. We, we flew out Mrs. Hudson. She's just going to eat a ham sandwich. There is a lot of talk in this episode about, like, the inevitability of death and time passing and what we leave behind and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it definitely has resonance with with uh, Jerry and Brad, who's dealing with, like, all these anxieties and suicide ideation and um, his illness that is eventually going to claim his life sooner than it, you know, would be desirable for it to do so. Um, so I get how this is a thing that he's, like, wanting to process. Uh, mm-hmm. um, that's something that I thought was interesting, is that, like, kind of have this, uh, all this focus on the drugs that are kind of probably leading to the character's uh, deteriorating health uh, as a kind of 
explanation for Jeremy Brett's deteriorating health so that going forward we can understand the health complications the actor is having are uh, health complications for the character but for for different reasons which I think is a clever way to work that in I, I don't have anything to, yeah. intelligent to say about the the drug trip I I know Megan you said that it's your favorite scene yeah I mean it's I don't want to say it's ruined but now I feel sort of like a crappy person for liking to rag on that scene when apparently it was like Jeremy Brett trying to work some stuff out I don't know. I mean, I called him Babushka Holmes, so... Listen, I think it is totally fair to say uh, both this is uh, an important working out process and also this is very silly. Both can be true. Well, um, speaking of things that can also be true, Megan, you have a note here about uh, defensive Watson. This is mostly in the story because the the story <laughs> is set up such that Watson is relating it many, I think, 13 years after it happened. 13. And so it's sort of a past tense thing that does not... The episode doesn't have that frame. But in the very beginning of the story, Watson goes into this thing about how he's reporting it now because... You know, and and he's reporting it now because Holmes famously, at the time, didn't want publicity for his cases. And so there was a lot that Watson couldn't write. Mm-hmm. And But Watson is very specifically like... It was indeed this attitude upon the part of my friend, and certainly not any lack of interesting material, which has caused me of late years to lay very few of my records before the public. And it's just very like, listen, it's not because we didn't have anything good to do, it's because Holmes didn't want me to, which is why I didn't. Those were actually the coolest mysteries we ever did. Okay. And then there was another, oh, there's another thing later, which is that I originally chalked it up to defensive Watson where there's a bit in the story where when they first are going I think to check out the original murder scene and Holmes like trips over Mm -hmm. a watering can and spills the water everywhere and soaks their feet and Watson is very much like and I remember distinctly that he knocked it over and soaked both of our feet and it's like I felt like at first it was a callback to that but at the beginning where he's like I have kept exact notes so I can recount this exactly to you and it that turns out to be significant later but even so it's sort of like defensive Watson going remember how I noticed that I I told you before that I noticed he knocked that over and later it was important like I can see things too <laughs> I, I can have deductions <laughs> I'm a I'm a big yeah. mystery boy <laughs> I have a bit of this in this episode too, where um, Holmes says, "Ah, you person I just met are this, and you have these traits. You're like a left-handed gardener, or whatever." And uh, he's like, "Deduce, Watson, come, deduce." And Watson does the thing, and it's like, "Ah, good job, Watson." Uh, Edward Hart does a good job there of like, "Look, Dad, I, I'm just as good at this as you are." Like, per, like desperate, like, and I noticed the mud on the shoes too, and his hand, and all like that, but. In the story, Holmes had just been there for a while and met that guy from doing his the stuff about Cornwall being a Viking something. Like he's looking back like language history. Ooh. Yeah. But, so um, um let's see, I have something for this. Dolly Pentrieff uh, died in 1783 or thereabouts, and is purported to be the last Cornish speaker, or at least last native speaker of Cornish. There's a lot of heavy debate about it because people would just be around and not be that well known, but she's kind of famously the last person who spoke, uh, who grew up speaking Cornish, uh, which is 
not quite a dead language, but like many languages in the British Isles is severely on the, de- the decline, and there are efforts to like bring it back uh, for reasons of national heritage. There's my Cornwall fact. Uh, speaking of corn, uh, Hungry Watson is hungry, I see, is here that on was the mine. This isn't important, but there's a point. I noticed a point in the, the story where after, so this is after Tregennet, Mortimer dies. And the, it's early in the morning, Watson's mm-hmm. shaving, the vicar shows up and is like, this has happened, and Sherlock says, then Watson, we will postpone our breakfast. Uh, Mr. Roundhay, we are entirely at your disposal. Hurry, hurry before things get disarranged. And I just felt like that was a note, like Watson once again is forced to miss a meal. It is something mm-hmm. that the Edward Hardwick era starts to shy away from more and more. Like he still eats or whatever, like in the, um, the Priory School. They have that disgusting lunch, but um, it's less and less like, oh, I'm hungry. Right, yeah, and it's not even a thing. Well, that The <laughs> breakfast thing, I don't remember whether that even comes up in the episode itself at all, but within the context of this show, I thought that was an interesting note. In the- I can't just keep stringing together. <laughs> Speaking of the last thing you said in Jumping Ship, but I do see a note here. Uh, somebody put in description of Mounts Bay as a metaphor for Holmes. I'm really just kind of controlling this episode. I didn't have a whole lot of interesting thoughts, so I guess I'll just kind of tee up the people who have things to say. Finally, on my third go of this, I was like, I need to have more material. When they first get to the place, Watson's describing that. This is also again in the story. Mm-hmm. Watson's describing it and talking about Mounts Bay. Uh, with a northerly breeze, it lies placid and sheltered inviting the storm-tossed craft to tack into it for rest and protection. Then comes the sudden swirl round of the wind, the blistering gale from the southwest, the dragging anchor, the lee shore, and the last battle in the creaming breakers. The wise mariner stands far out from that evil place. And I just felt like it was supposed to be an uh, emphasized metaphor for something. So I think there's an argument that mm-hmm. it's a good description of Holmes's sort of observational tag. People come to his office, tell him stuff. He sits there with his eyes closed, leaning back, like he's mm-hmm. not even paying attention. And then all of a sudden, he's zeroing in on everything you've ever done. And those candies you shoplifted from the store when you were five and whatever, the cheese sandwich you had on three days ago because you have small crumbs of cheese on your sleeve. And he's done a monograph on cheese crumbs, so he knows exactly how long they've been there or whatever. That ham sandwich Mrs. Hudson ate in his... <laughs> drug dream okay, wait. <laughs> was mrs hudson in the drug dream and i missed it or is that a thing you've just made up sadly no although God, i think if i ever like so got the, if i ever like released this like somehow if i like was told hey Jax, we're doing a like blu-ray re-release of the sherlock holmes movies you're helping edit them i would definitely like put in mrs hudson in there and other just weird stuff oh. in that sequence i thought i thought you were gonna say i definitely put in a scene of mrs hudson eating a ham sandwich like you're gonna how are you gonna make that she's dead I mean, Colin Jeevens is still alive, as far as I know. You can, if you're willing to have Lestrade or Lestrade eating a ham sandwich, you could probably get him. Yes, we'll have Lestrade dressed as Mrs. Hudson eating a ham sandwich. <laughs> this better not awaken anything within me. The rest of this episode is just going to be us punching up the drug trip. Um, while we're on that, uh, I real you mentioned that it had weird paintings. I'm like, what are those from? That looks familiar. And it's William Blake. Uh, <clears throat> A weird fucking dude who wrote a lot of weird poems invented the idea of orcs, um, and that particular painting was Nebuchadnezzar, who was apparently a yeah. biblical king who mm-hmm. got too smart and looped back around to being like a madman, like living in caves and eating grass. 
Like Sherlock Holmes. Exactly like Sherlock Holmes. He moved to Sussex. The parallel is exact. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I can see it being a thing of like, oh no, Holmes is worried that he has like gotten too wrapped up in his own mind and has gone mad or whatever, but yeah. I, I think I think it wanted some like weird disturbing imagery and William Blake was there, so you know, props to that. I like Blake. Blake is a weird dude. I, I read America Prophecy once a, uh, <laughs> once a week, once a year at least. Uh, speaking of weird dudes, let's talk about Leon Sterndale's angles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the thirst-trapped portion of season four. I did not realize this, that was the kind of show I had signed up for. But. Season four is getting weird. Um, it seemed like they wanted to say something with this scene. where More like Leon Firmdale. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, do you have anything you want to plug? My ears? Are- <laughs> <laughs> Second question: Are you interested in filling a recently vacated co-host spot? How do you do? We are going to have to do. We are still contractually obligated to do CADFEL next, so. I mean, I can be if we can both be the neophytes because I have heard of that, but I have no experience with it. Anyway, there is a scene where Holmes and Watson are sitting on a bluff and they're talking about the the case. And all of a sudden, they just turn around, and Dr. Leon Sterndale is standing right behind. I mean, like, half an inch behind Sherlock Holmes. And there's he turns and half rises, but they start talking. And it's just this weird shot where Holmes is, like, half sitting, half kneeling, and Sterndale's standing up to his full height, and they just keep cutting between the two of them. And I'm like, I feel like this is supposed to be something about, like their level of power or something but it is legitimately just a very jovial scene where he asks Holmes a lot of questions about what he knows and Holmes gives him not really any answers and then he just leaves it's not even the scene at the end where Holmes is like I know you did this it's nothing to do with power it's just this weird bit of Jerry Bridge like kneeling on a bluff talking to a very tall man I'm wondering if maybe he wasn't all that tall. They kind of had to make him seem like more tall and imposing. He's supposed to be like big lion hunter. Or... I figured that because it looked like by the end it looked like they were approximately the same height. So likely they were probably trying to um, make him look taller and more imposing. Mm-hmm. But I just like at that point you could do something else with angles instead of just Sherlock Holmes is kind of just crouching in front of him. I mean, to be fair, they were outside, so there uh, weren't any mirrors or windows that they could shoot through. So they had to do true. something. That's true. Just, they just cut to a mirror set up on the bluff. Sterndale, for no reason, has a magnifying, like a giant magnifying glass. <laughs> <laughs> Who did it? Who do you think did it? <laughs> Listen, if I'm ever, like, on the bluffs of Cornwall alone with the wind whipping around me and the sea waves crashing below, and I just see a giant mirror standing on its own, I'm absolutely leaving. That's not... That's shit I don't want to deal with. That's some sort of hell portal mm-hmm. waiting to happen. <laughs> of course, Cornwall. Famously the location of the gates of hell. I understand, Megan, you already went pretty hard against Wales no, the last time no, you were with us. I understand if you're sticking. <laughs> did not. I think about the way the story went pretty hard against Wales. <laughs> um, I, the last points we have here, I wrote down, did Sherlock Holmes quit drugs on vacation? Because there is heavily implied a scene where he pours out some heroin and yeah. then buries it, or uh, buries his syringe. We'll have to watch to see if he does any more drugs uh, for the rest of the show, but if not, then it might be him giving up maybe drugs forever. Just, maybe he just took up littering. Maybe, I don't know. Alternately, maybe Sherlock Holmes was just pouring one out for the trick in his family. <laughs> but he didn't have any liquor, so he used a vial of he heroin. He does also throw the lamp off the cliff after 
the trip, which I mean is just good sense, but uh, there's you could argue that there's an implication that he's like, I might actually want to try that again, and I better get rid of this shit before that happens. <laughs> and we never saw that bandana again. He might have just left it there, so maybe Sherlock Holmes is just a litter bug now. We'll keep an eye out. Litterbug Watch is in full effect for season four. Litterbug Watch. Uh, is this, uh, is during that, like, throwing the lamp out portion why John is here? Oh, I just wrote it down um, because there's it's the bit where he finishes, I guess finishes his drug trip in the weirdest Jeremy Brett acting I think we've seen so far of him having, like, a spasm mm-hmm. just on the ground. And as he comes to, he just yells, John! Like, because he sees it's Watson. I think it's the only time he calls him John, at least so far in the series. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, it's always Watson. But, I don't know. Apparently that was also something Jeremy Brett just put in. Because I, I, I didn't know I if it was... In, it, it wasn't was. in the story, on, but... Let me see. I don't know if it's in this story. Cause I read it today, I don't remember seeing it. But, upon my word, Watson in the story mm-hmm. mm. which if you rearrange yeah. the letters does spell John <laughs> I will say one of my favorite tropes is like someone who only refers to somebody by their last name their title or whatever saying like their their first name or whatever in like a moment of crisis that makes me feel feelings So after that he said, tells Watson it was an unjustifiable experiment even for oneself and doubly so for a friend I really am very sorry I don't know, I sat with that one for a while, because I was like... Oh, and then in the story, Watson says, uh, You know, I answered with some emotion, for I have never seen so much of Holmes's heart before, that it is my greatest joy and privilege to help you. Um, which I thought was really weird, like, silly at first, and I was sitting there trying to come up with, like, how I was going to slam that, too. But the more <laughs> I think about it, it's not the apology that's notable. It's the thank you. Like... Holmes, Mm -hmm. within this story specifically, but across the canon, has absolutely zero regard for his own personal well-being. And even he is like, Mm. yeah, that was too far. (laughs) So thanks for that, because like, that was too much even for me. I am getting too old to have just random drug trips in Cornwall. Normally, it's just my life that's in danger. I almost ruined my brain, Watson. This was... (laughs) Just um, like Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Think about it. No. He didn't have anybody to tackle him out of the room, yeah. either. Yeah. If Nebuchadnezzar had had a Dr. John Watson in the Bible, it might have gone a lot different for him. Maybe. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, that brings us to the end of the big talking points we had. I don't know if anybody... I see there's a short list of monographs written down here. While Leon Sterndale is a, like, probably a Doctor. bad person. There's Sorry, Dr. Dr. Leon. Leon Sterndale. Um, probably a bad person in reality. Cause, like the way he talks about Africa makes me go, "Oh, you're definitely a colonist." I kind of love him as a character in this story because he doesn't have a low setting. There is no point in this story where he's not being like at an eleven. Like he appears just by teleporting in behind Sherlock, and he exits the story having lost love of his life and then avenged your killer, saying, "I intend to bury myself in Africa." I was intending to bury myself in Central Africa, but there can be no man living who fears death less than I do now. Just a, a very, like, intense man, and I kind of love that. 
Africa will never allow him to die. I bring this up. My one big monograph was, I love how, at least in the story and for most of the show, he is never referred to by anything other than his full title and name. The story, he every time they talk about him is Dr. Leon Sterndale. <laughs> they never call him Sterndale, never Dr. Sterndale, never Leon. It's big Dr. L. Leon Sterndale. Yeah, Big L, as they're wont to do in the Sherlock Holmes <laughs> canon. It is interesting. The show, the last, right when he shows up at the house, they call him Dr. Sterndale a couple times. So they break the record, but, um, or break the streak, rather. But it is very funny to me, the whole story. It's always Dr. Leon Sterndale. It's like D.A. Cecile Horton. Or uh, Patty Spivet, first name Patty, last name Spivet. Anyway, for everybody else on this call or listening, uh, any other monographs? Yeah, call in. No. <laughs> I, I had one uh, just on, like, I started thinking about what if. Watson hadn't gotten him out. Like, can you imagine being the town where Sherlock Holmes dies on a case? Ooh. Like, the both the oh my god, you killed our national hero bit of it, but then also like the weird sort of underbelly tourism. Like, mm. people flocking to the site where, like, Moriarty couldn't do it, Arthur Conan Doyle himself couldn't do it, but somehow you have managed to kill off Sherlock Holmes. So, and it's like, can I can I stay in the Sherlock Holmes death bungalow or whatever? Like <laughs> The Sherlock Holmes death bungalow. Oh my god, what a great band name. Trademark studying ground a band name, the Sherlock Holmes death bungalow. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, him being killed by the devil's foot, the amount of like weird occult conspiracy theory stuff would be out of this world. Oh, so the much. fan art alone. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, this is where oh. Sherlock Holmes fought the devil. Lost. Would have been interesting because the story in the story this takes place in 1897, which is before he faced Moriarty. The show didn't seem too concerned with setting up that premise, which is fine. So uh, Marvel, what if? Get at me for the sh- alternate series where Sherlock Holmes dies in Cornwall three years before he fights Moriarty. Wait a minute. Hold on. What if this is set before the Moriarty thing? Like, this is a, a past tense thing. So he wasn't re- remembering falling over the cliffs. He was having a vision of, oh. of his future where he falls over the cliffs fighting Moriarty. I like how you've traded one form of occultism for another in this story. <laughs> I mean... He saw it in a mirror on the Bluffs of Cornwall. <laughs> it all makes sense now. It's all coming together. Wait, wait, that was, that was basically my only thing is that it was like... Sure. What if he had died? And all of the things about that. People will, like, you will be the villains of the country, but also there will be people who, like, completely flood your little town. The poor vicar. <laughs> oh, God. Is that poor vicar who's not yeah. ready for this? The poor vicar and his amazing sideburns. Uh, but we'll get to that. Jackson, or I see somebody here who has a quote written down for a monograph that they were interested in as well. Oh, yeah. There's a, a fun bit where. Uh, Sherlock Holmes talks about um, see, about following Dr. Leon Sterndale. How do you know then? I followed you. I saw no one. That is what you may expect to see when I follow you. Which is it's a fun bit. I also liked at the crime scene as he's as the, the second one where uh, Mortimer Tregonis has has been killed. They're leaving, and he says to the vicar, uh, "I would draw your atten- have the police draw their attention to the upstairs windowsill and to the smoker on that lamp." The vicar really goes, "Yes, each is um, what was the phrase? I wrote it down. Each is suggestive. Together, they're conclusive. I believe, or something. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna put the clip in here as well. Um, but yeah, there's some great quotes in this one. Yeah, mine." Then the one I will submit to is when the vicar and Mortimer Trigonus show, first show up at 
the soon-to-be-death bungalow and are relating <laughs> what happened to the sister and the brothers and Mortimer Trigonus says it's devilish something has come to that room blah, blah, blah. what human contrivance could do that and Holmes says I fear that if the matter is beyond humanity it is certainly beyond me yes I love that bit I also love like Hutcherry replace it with absolute disdain for the mm-hmm. idea that the devil is real or did this and then he had a premonition of his own death in quotes two years <laughs> later in a mirror in Cornwall um, alright we are now just left with one last piece of business and that is to crown season 4's first must clash champion I mean it's gotta be Dr. Leon Sterndale Let's doesn't see. it yeah I would say the vicar has some really good sideburns um part of me wants to put in the police inspector who shows up after mortimer's killed because he's got some big sideburns and just this absolute we just tore the end off two paintbrushes and taped them to his mouth i couldn't get a good mouth. look at him i kept i backed it up at one point because i had him as a candidate but i didn't get a good look at him my thing is that sterndale has like an absolute an absolute shelf of a beard from some angles. Like, it is clearly a solid <laughs> of hair. Uh, for viewers at home, imagine uh, fucking Willem Dafoe from The Lighthouse. It's that beard. And meanwhile, he's got a good thorough yeah, mustache to go with it. Like, he has got... I know his, I know the hair on his head doesn't count, but, like, that man just has... Oh, we, we've... There have been previous uh, winners where the whole package serves to. Uh, season two, I think, the winner ended up being the museum curator in Paris, mostly because he had a very short, pointy mustache, but the whole look yeah. of just completely bald, like a kind of a nice, chubby man. Like it was just, oh, the whole look really served. So mm-hmm. um, I'm fine with um, Dr. Leon Sterndale here. I, he, especially after you phrase it as an absolute shelf of a beard. I think. <laughs> Yeah, like, the police mustache, like, mustache is good, but it's not like... I feel like we've seen that before, whereas uh, Leon, mm-hmm. Dr. Leon Sterndale is bringing something new to the table. For and me, the table is more, his mustache. I, I like the police inspector only because it reminds me sort of of, like, um, oh, the guy in the solitary cyclist who looks like he's, like, a seven-year-old boy they just put in a suit and a mustache. Uh, he's one of Holmes fist fights, in quotes, but... I think it has to go to Dr. Leon Sterndale. All right. Well, if there are no dissenting votes as per the rules of parliament, then uh, we <laughs> the motion is carried, and our first champion is Dr. Leon Sterndale. Whee! All right. Uh, Megan, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Yeah, no. Other I, than your I ears. I can't think of anything, although I'm really considering now moving to Cornwall and trying to start up like an Airbnb called the... Sherlock Holmes Death Bungalow. But we'll see about that. I'll, I'll get back to you on whether I'm actually able to do that. This episode has made me want to visit Cornwall when I next time I go backpacking in Europe if we ever get out of this pandemic. So I'll absolutely stay there in your, in your Death Bungalow. Great. Well, stay tuned for the bonus episode live from Sherlock Holmes Death Bungalow <laughs> where, sorry, just Megan and Jackson, I guess. <laughs> um, Jackson, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, not really, but I will say... Um, a friend of uh, one of my other podcasts, uh, uh, Sarah Hollowell, just had a book come out. It's called A Dark and Starless mm. Forest. Um, it's a YA book about a bunch of siblings uh, dealing with alchemy and uh, toxic relationships. Uh, you should buy it. It's really good. 
Excellent. We'll put a link to where you can purchase that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I have to plug is my other podcast, The Equalizers, where myself and my friend Madison Jones take movies that uh, never got a sequel either because they're very good and they don't need one or they're very bad and they don't deserve one. And we come up with ideas for sequels to them. As you're hearing this, we definitely will have released The Great Gatsby, the oldest sport. And that is a sequel to the Robert Redford Great Gatsby. Uh, we haven't recorded Madison's sequel to the Leonardo DiCaprio one yet, so that should be out pretty soon after, though. Um, you can find us everywhere online by searching The Equalizers. Uh, all right, Megan, thank, thank you, you very much me. for being here uh, and joining us mm-hmm. for uh, <laughs> what was a wild one. And also, I apologize for uh, okay. introducing Babushka Holmes to an episode that you very much so enjoyed. I apologize <laughs> for that, even though I don't think that that's going to bother you. There you go. Oh, Jackson Jackson is a sailor. Just then don't go to Mount Bay. It'll drag you in. <laughs> well next time it's something about horses in the Silver Blaze. We're rare to meet that go.